those are the categories where you see businesses that are going to do well over time, you know, no matter if there's a recession or what have you. And so we've seen home services and property services. I mean, home services is a $600 billion market. And it's a highly fragmented space. And so I'd say that poses a lot of opportunities to come in maybe to a blue collar industry like the ones we mentioned with a white collar approach to it. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview extremely interesting people. We've interviewed entrepreneurs and investors in many different areas and fields such as crypto, real estate, internet entrepreneurship, content creation, and more. We aim to produce evergreen content, so if you enjoy this episode, we have 18 months of backlog for you to also consume. Please let us know what you think. This episode is with John Austinson. John runs two companies, very related services. I'll explain that right now. He runs one called Franbridge Consulting and one called Franbridge Capital. They both deal with the business of franchises, specifically non-food franchises. Uh, a lot of those could be home services. We talk about some of those in this episode. Uh, other things like you know carpet cleaning, just kind of random stuff like that that you see similar brands throughout the country that are run by franchises rather than corporate business models. His capital firm invests and operates these businesses. His consulting firm helps other people find the right fit. And then he kind of coaches them through the process of getting through it, owning, et cetera, et cetera. In this episode, we discuss why franchise, how John got into franchising, the benefits of franchising, the cons of franchising, the skill set required for franchising, really everything you've wanted to know about franchising. And John's really, really knowledgeable about this. I don't know much about the business space, but I'm going to say top in the country as far as experts, definitely top 1% of people in the world who know stuff about franchising. Uh, so I'm excited for you to learn from John just like we did. And I'll switch over to the episode now. Enjoy. John, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to, uh, to our discussion. Absolutely. Us as well. Uh, do you mind just giving us a quick kind of personal background introduction and then uh, we'll go from there? Well, right before the show, we were talking football. So uh, Kyle and Lewis are Alabama guys and I'm, I'm University of Georgia. So we have a fun one coming up. But uh, no, from Atlanta, Georgia, live here now. Um, after the University of Georgia, went into uh, consulting with Accenture, got to do some neat international work, um, and then went back to Athens uh, for grad school. So got my MBA, and um, from there, I uh, had a nice run in the corporate world, but like so many others, had that more entrepreneurial drive and that itch that I finally scratched. And so um, long story short, which I, I'm sure we'll delve into a little bit more, I, I now work in the world of what I call non-food franchising, which is... Um, a vast array of types of businesses out there that people oftentimes don't have on their radar because when they think franchising, they think fast food. And so uh, non-food, uh, you know, gets into a lot of other sectors that can present great business opportunities uh, for those that are looking to uh, to get into business for themselves. So um, I wear several different hats within that world. Um, I am a former franchisor myself and now a multi-brand franchisee with some business partners. Uh, but I get to spend most of my time on the consulting side, working with those that are interested in exploring uh, ownership opportunities. Um, I've partnered with several hundred brands across the country and, um, you know, love exposing and educating uh, my clients uh, on what's out there. Before we get into franchising, I want to ask you about a couple experiences you had when you were young. Um, you spent six months in India with Accenture and a couple, three months in, in Hong Kong in college. What were those experiences like and how did they affect your, um, your business career? Absolutely. No, I would, uh, encourage everyone to get those experiences. Uh, you never know what to expect until you're over there. And, 
you really have to go for more than a week or two. You really have to uh, get ingrained in the culture. And, you know, I, I'd say one thing I'd point to is in India, uh, when I went over there about 2005-ish, I, it was at a time when outsourcing was a really big item, but it was also a very controversial item. And here we were going, creating jobs over in India, but some people felt that we were taking jobs away from the U.S. And really what I saw firsthand was one on the India side, we're, I mean, we, we're never at a lack of people that were willing to do work that oftentimes Americans may say, hey, that's below me. And, and so we had a great labor force. It was providing them with very uh, strong um, uh, opportunities to, to live as they would like to from a uh, cost of living standpoint and uh, salary standpoint. On the U.S. side, by saving money on some of those jobs, we were able to create more uh, higher level jobs that allowed uh, really people to promote within uh, within the companies that, that we're working with. So um, I kind of saw the other side of outsourcing and that was eye-opening to me because I think until you get involved and really go beyond the headlines around a specific topic, it's hard to have an informed opinion on it. I'm just thinking of the dates you said, uh, 2005 traveling, because I did some like various abroad, but that was like 2018, 2019. And I just think it was such a fundamentally different experience, 2005. Like I almost want to say it's nerfed now because you have like, 5G internet and Google Translate that's just flawless and instant. And like, essentially, there's just like no friction, like no difficulty. Uh, so I think there's like an added layer of the, the time you experience it. That's almost like a lost experience. And I'm sure you could just not take a phone, throw yourself in the deep end, but the temptation is almost always going to be taken. Oh, back in the old days. No, I, I just turned 42, which sounded so old when I was your age. And now, um, yeah, it is funny talking to my kids about growing up and we didn't get internet until, you know, I was 10 years old. We're, we could get sidetracked with the, the internet and technology debate for, for a long time. I do want to ask how you did stumble upon franchising. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'll share the same thing. I, I was speaking with the University of Georgia students last week to a couple of classes. And what I shared with them was you never know where your career is going to take you. And try to stay open-minded, say yes. You know, look at things through a different lens. Because I remember sitting there as a senior in college thinking, here's the path I've got ahead. Well, that was great till my first job opportunity got pulled out below from before me, it was with PricewaterhouseCoopers and it was um, in business turnaround consulting. Well, that firm was acquired right, uh, the piece of the firm acquired right before uh, my start date. So I never started with them. So I scrambled, got in with Accenture. That wasn't my plan. Never expected to go to India. Never expected after grad school to be selling baby clothes. I worked for Carter's Oshkosh Bagosh for a number of years and had a great run with those guys. Carter's and Oshkosh are the largest children's apparel companies. And with the, them, I mean, we're flying on the little airplane, me with investors all around the country. It was a neat role, but it was an industry I never thought I'd be in. And from there, that's when after a while of running in the corporate world, I had that desire to, to really do something more entrepreneurial, didn't know what it looked like. And so my first step was to move into the franchisor role. So I stepped out into a role with Shelf Genie, served as their president. Shelf Genie is a large uh, franchise system across North America, custom pullout shelving for your kitchens and pantries. And really, I wasn't targeting franchising. That wasn't on my radar until I stepped into that role, saw how franchising could be such a better path to business ownership for a lot of people as I'm interacting with our franchisees and supporting them on a day in, day out basis and understanding their backgrounds and what their way of life now looks like, you know, that they're able to build their own empire and not just someone else's empire like they had been most of their careers. And so I really fell in love with franchising and um, long story short, ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie. We spun off. We've had several other partners over time and you know, we've made investments. 
On the other side of the table as franchisees, you know, we love franchising, we love, and I'll get into the benefits behind it. But, you know, that caused us to want to be uh, franchisees because we saw the support that you got, that you were provided with. And then I moved into the consulting side where I get to play matchmaker and have a lot of fun educating uh, others around the country. Can we just briefly define what a franchise is? I mean, I know what it is and I, I'm sure that all of our audience does, but I think that hearing you define it will will help shed some light on it. Yeah, by definition, a franchise is three things. It's a shared brand. It's, um, you know, support provided essentially from a home office team, you know, to uh, local owners. And then third, it would be those local owners paying some sort of royalty or feedback to the, um, back to the franchisor. So it creates a dynamic where you can go out and be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. You know, you've got that franchisor and their support team, essentially a coach on the sidelines, if you will, you know, working with you. You also have um, other franchisees around the country that, you know, are operating in their markets and uh, oftentimes you're able to trade best practices and learning. So you're not out there totally by yourself. And the biggest piece is probably the, the shared playbook, if you will. You know, when you buy into a franchise, nothing is totally risk-free. However, you are buying into a business that has been proven out in other markets. And so you have some degree of confidence. You're able to go in and do due diligence by talking to other owners before you buy, seeing what their financials are before you make that decision. And so you're able to go in eyes wide open into business ownership in a way that um, oftentimes you wouldn't if you're just you know, going with the startup. And so you have, you know, different processes, rules, sort of regulations around what you can and can't do in the business. And in addition, you have uh, proven market demand. You know that somebody out there wants your product, at least in all these other markets, potentially around your your market that you're choosing to be in. That's exactly right. So um, yeah, every market can be different. Some are more seasonal type businesses that may work in Miami, but not in Omaha, let's say. Um, however, you know, you typically get a good feel for that going in. Um, so no, it's been proven out. Um, and, you know, I, I'd say right now we're seeing more interest in business ownership than ever before. I, you know, I think coming out of COVID, more and more people are saying, hey, um, you know, it could be one of a couple of things, you know, we, you know, we want to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. We want that sense of control and freedom. Maybe in some cases we want to continue working remotely. We don't want to go back into the office. Um, also, you see from an investment standpoint, uh, a lot of money on the sidelines, you know, record levels of cash on the sidelines. And people are nervous about the stock market is so high, the interest rates are low, and only so many good real estate deals to be had. You know, outside of crypto, where else are you going to invest right now? And uh, so they're looking for those alternatives. And business ownership is one that really poses some pretty strong um, opportunities for them in that, you know, there's still tax write-offs you can do as a business owner. They can't do elsewhere. You're able to you know, scale at your own pace. Um, you're able to get that freedom and you're building cash flow as well as a potential exit value down the road. You know, you're not just buying a job, but you're building a business that you'll be able to sell down the road, typically at a higher multiple than a non-franchised comparable business. I'm happy to share stats around that. Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. You know, I think, uh, I think that anybody who has ever read an accounting textbook or accounting tax textbook realizes that America is built for the business owner. Uh, the the incentives around owning a business are, are ridiculous and it, it just shines through when you read a, a, a tax textbook, which isn't fun. I wouldn't recommend it, but it definitely shines some light on it. Um, yeah, I think 
that this is very interesting. Why specifically have you chosen to sort of niche yourself away from food franchising? It seems like, you know, obviously it's profitable for a lot of people. Uh, obviously it's the first thing that you think of. Why have you decided to, to keep your brand away from food? Yeah, I'd really say three things. One, 95% of my clients don't want anything to do with food. You know, their view is there are easier ways to make money. Um, so uh, two, I don't have a background in food. And so I'd rather go with uh, businesses that are more relatable and understandable to me personally. And three, I think just the power to focus, to really go in deep and understand these other industries because food is its own animal. I don't personally like food. Um, now, 5% of my clients say, hey, I want food and there's money to be had in food. And I can talk all day about that. However, these other industries have a lot going for them. That's where the market tends to be interested. Um, and for me, I just really saw an opportunity. No matter what field you're out there, you know, just listen, you know, talking to your listeners here, it, no matter what field you're in, if you can find a niche that is a profitable niche, that's a desired niche and really differentiate yourself. I mean, I don't know other consultants that do what I do that say non-food franchising. I mean, that's kind of a little category that I've created, at least in how I term it. Um, but that presents an opportunity. One question I want to get into later on, I'm just bringing this up now, yep. just the thought, is some of like the differences between straight up business acquisition versus franchising and some of the differences between those two situations. Uh, one thing back on Kyle's bringing up about tax accounting, et cetera, do you still have the same privileges? Does it fall into a different category as a franchise business owner versus a non-franchise business owner from like an tax incentive perspective, or are those roughly the same thing? Yeah, they, they're roughly the same thing. I, I mean, there really aren't any um, any big outliers. I'd say, you know, you, you do receive a benefit um, on the lending side. So when you go to buy a business, you know, if you want to tap into a loan, banks, and, and we work with banks that are very favorable to franchises because that's what they do all day is franchise lending. But I will say on average, it's easier to get a business loan like an SBA loan for a franchise that's been proven out versus a non-proven out concept. It's common sense. Would you say, what, what would you say the range is uh, for startup capital that, that an entrepreneur needs to have before they come to you um, for a non-food franchise? Like what is yeah. the top and bottom? I'd say on the low end, are all in, are all in investment, which would include your franchise fee. It would include, let's say, um, I'd, I'd say on the low end again, where you're not doing a retail uh, customer facing build out space, but you're, let's say, working in a services business, which I'll give you some examples of those. There are a lot of businesses you can get into for as little as a hundred or one twenty five hundred twenty five thousand, um, and using an SBA loan for a good bit of that. I'd say you still need to put down probably twenty five percent, so call it let's say thirty forty thousand that you need to have liquid. Um, I, I would say even if you have thirty forty thousand, I, 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 if your net worth all in, including home equity and everything else, is below one fifty, I'd say spend time working to build up that net worth to probably one fifty before you're looking to buy a business. You know, it doesn't have to be much higher than that, but I do think you want to have some comfort level that, uh, you know, you're not putting yourself out, out on a limb too far. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd say most of my clients, you know, may do have a net worth above that, but that can include retirement. It, it can include equity uh, in their homes. Uh, the majority of the deals I do are probably between 150 and 250, um, all in investments. Um, but yeah, you know, we certainly have some that go up to 500,000 as well. So if I come to you and I have, you know, $300,000, what's the process that you and I will walk through, uh, in order to get me to that position of purchasing and, and getting to run the, the franchise? Yeah. So there, there are roughly 4,000 franchise brands in the U S 
you take out the food brands, you're down to roughly half of that, call it 2000. Well, I'm affiliated with the franchise. The number control. seems low. These are brands, brands, not locations. It just, yeah. It just seems like there'd be more. Yeah. I mean, we have new ones coming online every day, but, uh, you know, that that's kind of what the stats are. And so of those 2000, you know, through the franchise consulting company who I'm affiliated with, it's the largest brokerage in the U S. Uh, we've narrowed the 2000 down to roughly 300. These are ones that we've vetted. They've got a strong leadership team. They've got a good return on investment. Um, they've got a unique reason for being within their given industry. Ones that we're proud to put in front of our clients. And so those are the ones that we're representing. And so what it would look like, Kyle is, Hey, John, you know, I'm interested in exploring business ownership through franchising. I would get to know you, you know, typically a 30, 40 minute call, have you fill out a questionnaire right after that it takes 10 minutes. Um, and from there, we would then begin looking at opportunities. So typically a week later, we would get on a zoom call. I'd share my screen. We'd walk through six, seven, eight opportunities in your market. That could be a good fit for kind of what you've shared with me. And then we narrow those down to two or three to actually go and have a conversation with. Um, so I'll make that introduction. Um, and after that first call, you may say, Hey, that's not the one for me. It was different than how you described it, John. Well, we can, you know, choose not to have another call with them. Um, typically I'd say clients might start out with three or four, uh, and then we, you know, through a series of calls, you know, narrow it down to one or two to really focus on and go through the franchisors process. I'm holding my client's hand, you know, introducing them to funding resources or legal resources, helping them process what they're uh, learning about these businesses. Um, and then ultimately they get to make the call on, Hey, this is the right one or it's not. Um, the great thing is it's entirely free. Um, my services. So I get paid by the franchisors, for them, it's a sales and marketing expense on the back end. Uh, none of that gets passed on to my clients. And so really it's a great model, um, from my perspective in that, uh, you know, I'm never, never selling. I really get to consult along the way. Um, I've got a former wall street attorney, uh, client right now outside of Boston and, and this afternoon I'm working with him on trying to land the plane. He's, he's ready to buy three territories of just this great gutter business. I, I've got other clients over in Arkansas right now buying a senior care, uh, uh or I'm sorry, senior healthcare uh, type, uh, facility. Uh, some of the recent deals I've done, and this is just to kind of what the appetite, give you an example, um, you know, oil changes. Uh, I just did a 10 unit oil change deal where it's a prefabricated oil change, uh, building that uses retailers, parking spaces, unused parking spaces. So you get great street visibility. You know, there's just a lot of benefits there around that. The landlord loves that additional revenue stream. Um, we did one recently, roll off dumpsters. You know, people are liking that kind of non-sexy space. So think of like serve pros, uh, you know, the pro model, water mitigation, mold remediation, um, home services and property services, things like the gutter business I mentioned, or uh, insulation or pool cleaning. Hey, I think that there's not going to take that stuff away. Tell you that much. It, it's, it's crypto resistant. It's Amazon resistant. And in a lot of cases, COVID resistant, I, you know, it's those essential services. Um, so I, I jokingly said, you know, that the non-sexy is the new sexy when it comes to business ownership opportunities. And I'd say over 80% of my clients end up in an opportunity that they never had on their radar that they never even thought about. But what happens is once we peel back the onion and understand, do you like small teams or large teams? Do you want to have a, a retail footprint or do you want to work remote? Um, you know, what are the needs in that current market? I'm able to take all those things into consideration and also look across the board at who, you know, what profile similar to theirs 
are buying into similar type businesses across the country and what's resonating. So you've got all the data. You're like the Netflix of franchises. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Um, one advantage that I think I see like pretty clearly is that, you know, there's this paradigm between being the operator of your business and owning a business. And like, if you, if you don't have to be there every day, then you own that business. But if you have to be there for it to work, then you're just an employee of the business that you started. So like, I think that with franchising, it's, it's probably a quicker, uh, or, or at least more definable route to being hands-off. Would you say that that's true? And also like, I don't know, just elaborate on that, I guess. Yeah. So I'd say first off you, you are not, not to be cliche, but you're starting on third base instead of first base, you know, day one, you know, the path to profitability. You're not saying, Hey, can this be profitable? Is there a product market fit for this? You know, there is, and here's the path you need to take. And in the best franchisees are the ones that follow the playbook. Again, as a franchisor, the ones that I looked across our landscape of franchisees, the best ones were the ones that followed the playbook, uh, it, it, day in, day out. Um, so no, it, faster path to profitability typically, uh, which allows you to potentially hire more, step away. Um, most franchise systems offer two different paths. One is the owner operator where you are operating day to day, you know, it's almost like a job in a way. Um, and then the second is what we call semi-absentee. Now, I always tell my clients, there's no th such thing as true absentee. You know, there will be some involvement, but a lot of these are designed so that you can, whether you do it out of the gate or in time, like you're saying, Kyle, hire a general manager that's running the business for you. And maybe you're putting in 10 to 15 hours a week, you're checking, you know, running the books, you know, maybe you're out doing your high payoff activities of getting involved in the chamber of commerce or sponsoring the little league baseball team, or, you know, getting out there and making the brand awareness, forming those referral partners. Um, versus running the day-to-day. -day. So I, that's what a lot of people either start with out of the gate or in time move into that role. And I can cite case study after case study of that. What are some of your financial obligations to the overarching brand, like long-term? Is it just that upfront fee? Does it vary business by business or franchise by franchise? Right, so you, your, your upfront fee, uh, which is typically 50,000 for a location, and um, it could be a physical location or it could be uh, defined as a territory based on households or the number of uh, you know, the population. And oftentimes people buy three or four of those. You know, it's very common to buy multiple territories and you get a discount with each additional one. So you have the upfront franchise fee um, and then you have uh, the uh, the royalty typically, which is on average six to 8% of revenue that, uh, you know, as you are bringing in revenue, you're paying the franchisee. So it's kind of a, multiple, a uh, variable cost, if you will. And then you typically have a one to 2% ad fund, um, yeah, that there's should be using on your behalf and it may pay for the marketing team at the home office, let's say, or it could be a campaign that's going to be impactful in your market. Um, and so you are paying. And so that is the difference that you're paying a franchisor versus, you know, if you had a startup, you're not paying a franchisor. However, you should be receiving value for what you're providing to that franchisor. So it's the support, you know, they're obviously putting you through the training, giving you the brand, giving you the, um, the playbook. Um, but, you know, you want a franchisor that's going to continue to be innovative, that's going to come up with new marketing campaigns, that's going to come up with new products for you to offer, let's say. Um, and so, you know, while you're paying the franchisor, you should be getting something in return. Is all of that information, and I, I think it's FFO, right? The document that maybe FFD? The FDD, the Franchise Disclosure Document. Uh -huh. And so all of that has to be disclosed inside of that document. And like, you know, one thing that I've heard before is like, this is food franchising, but, um, 
like you know they own that they've owned that McDonald's for 30 years every 15 in the FFD or FDD they have to rebuild it basically and so like that kind of stuff is just what you need to look out for and what you need to to uh, evaluate in your due diligence and I'm sure that that's some of the stuff that you help your clients um, save money by doing yeah so every franchise system uh, has an FDD a franchise disclosure document uh, franchising is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. Um, and so they have to cross their T's, dot their I's. The FDD uh, really is what governs that relationship and governs whether they're able to do what you're able to do. Um, the FDD has 23 items or sections within it. Uh, your item seven is where it represents all an investment given as a range and here are the different pieces. Uh, your item 19 is where it shows the representation of the financial performance of other franchise owners um, within their system. And they'll use different metrics to, to kind of break it out, give you a good idea of kind of what you can expect if you were to buy in. Um, and then there are other sections in there where it is, you know, what are those costs to the franchisor? What is the franchisor allowed to do down the road? For instance, the ad fund may be 1%, but they have the right to take it up to 2% over time if they choose to. And so just it puts some guardrails around it. I've got a great franchise attorney that I usually use to review those agreements with my clients. Just they go in again with a, a really eyes wide open perspective. So you obviously had a pretty extensive corporate background before ever opening your own franchise. To what extent would you say that, that was necessary for you to be successful as the operator of the franchises? And then kind of like the flip side of the question is if people come to you and they've not really had extensive management business ownership experience. To what extent are you encouraging, discouraging, encourage them to go do something else to like learn first? And like, how do you approach the requisite skill set for getting into the space? Yeah, you, you know, I again putting my franchisor hat on because I got to see a sea of franchisees out there, and I got to see who our top performers were, who who the middle of the pack was. the The top performers were people that were good with people. You know, even if they hadn't done it before, they just had a knack for people. They were able to attract good talent. They were able to realize how to incentivize them and retain them and make tough calls when needed um, as well. I'd say that is probably the biggest attribute of a successful franchise owner. Obviously, if you come in and you've had some management experience, all the better. I mean, some of our franchises are, you know, a one-man type operation. So you're not necessarily managing a team. Um, and I can give examples of those as well. And so it really depends on what you're moving into. But franchisors do not, oftentimes don't want you to have a background in the industry that you're moving into. They want you to come in and be kind of an open slate and uh, not come in with that baggage. So, you know, for me, it was definitely beneficial. I mean, everything that I did it, it, during my corporate days, you know, certainly helped me. I mean, I learned how to sell. I learned how to, uh, you know, work with people. But um, I mean, when you look at who I'm doing placements with right now, we've got plenty of people in their 20s. Um, I, I have a client that's signing today for another territory for a driveway business that he bought in uh, Fort, uh, for, um, Fort Worth, Texas, just outside of Dallas. He bought it in the summer. He's killing it. He's come back and he's buying another territory now. Um, and he's 27 years old, I believe. Um, so no, we we have people in their 20s. We have people in their 30s. We have those in their 40s I, and 50s. I'd say it's very common for old guys like me, 42 years old, to say, hey, I want to buy a business maybe as a side hustle, diversify my portfolio, but I need a young guy to go run it for me. And one of my clients is the largest franchisee of two men in a truck, uh, the moving service wow. in Columbia, South Carolina. And he operates a $30 million business. He's 39 years old, by the way. I mean, he's done very well. $30 million business. Well, he's built up a nice little organization. He's recruited guys from church and other you know, venues and uh, they've earned his trust. And what he does is he then gives them responsibility in a new business. 
So he and I did two deals last year. Um, one was for a trash smashing business. Another one was for that same driveway business. And in each case, he put a guy in their mid twenties, uh, you know, over each of those businesses, gave him some equity and they, they've been a phenomenal success. He's come back and bought additional territories as well, uh, since our original deal. So that's just an example to have different ways you can go about it. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you heard of the, uh, the model for trash can cleaning? Is, yeah. Is that booming or is there any? People love trash. It is amazing how many industries operate around that. I mean, junk hauling, I've got a patented, uh, app related, uh, track, uh, junk hauling business. There's a, uh, trash smashing business, which you know, I've done some deals with where it's a truck with a big old crane arm and it goes up to a dumpster, rolls back and forth for seven or eight minutes, smashes it down to one quarter of the size and saves three out of four trips to the landfill. Um, you know, the, the dumpster business, I'm working with one right now. I've done several different types of dumpster deals. Sounds funny saying that. Uh, but dumpsters where, you know, they, some of them have a lid or they have a storage compartment attached to the dumpster. So that you're able to protect, uh, the equipment on a job site, which is a pretty big deal, uh, you know, for a lot of contractors. Um, and then of course, yeah, I've got a friend that has a trash valet business where they go around and literally take trash cans down to the street, um, trying to yeah. fran franchise that one. Yeah. It's wow. in our neighborhood. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, my lazy neighbors use that. So, um, no, and then, yeah, the trash can cleaning business is out there as well. So yeah. hey, there's riches in the niches and people love kind of that non-sexy space. Well, one thing you said there was that the number one skill that you see with successful, uh, franchise or trip franchisees, both sides really is people who are good with people. So as someone who's been in the game for a long time, what tips would you give our audience to be better with people? Because it's an intangible skill. And like, obviously it's very important, but I feel like people don't talk about like that enough. You know, it, it, it's not all natural. Some things can be learned. Like, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I take my wife to a cocktail party and, you know, she becomes everyone's favorite person and I get so many compliments and she hates that scene. She would rather not go, but she's really good at asking questions and showing interest. If you ask questions and you show interest and you treat people well. They're going to love you. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, one one. you know, how to win friends and influence people. Um, and so, no, I think, I think it's getting out there and looking for shared interest. You know, something that I see as a dynamic right now is kind of the idea of bartering, especially in the age of social media and, you know, what's going on with podcasts and such, um, you know, getting out there and forming referral relationships, you know, everyone's creating these little ecosystems and it's all about referrals and who do you know and making introductions and how can we collaborate and how can we form a partnership? And, you know, that's the stuff that really, I think is uh, energizing and interesting, but to be able to do that, you've got to be able to interact with people and make them like you. And, um, I am sure I've got work to be done in that area, but, um, yeah, seek first to understand and then to be understood, as, as Stephen Covey says. I really like that. Well, I think transition now just to we call the bonus round. Some less organized questions, just kind of hopping around. Uh, and I don't know to what extent you are or not able to like name names when you answer questions like this. But if you had to do food, do you have any any leanings? And if you can't give like a specific brand, uh, just like a type of food, like sandwiches for persons, et cetera. Chicken ones. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of fried chicken ones. And of course we live in the fried chicken capital here in Atlanta and I've got plenty of family members who work at Chick-fil-A corporate. Um, if I can't get them to franchise, I would say, uh, obviously it's where things are moving. It's, it's the healthier, uh, side, um, you know, the smoothie, uh, 
smoothie world, tropical smoothies done very well. I know those guys, um, good, good folks, Charles Watson and his team. Um, that's the type of business where I think, you know, it's in and out, but it's a step above, you know, traditional fast food and, uh, you know, it definitely caters to the healthier side. That's, that's also where the money is. I mean, those are the customers you want to attract. Yeah. I listened to your podcast on the private equity podcast. So I, I see the connection there. Um, yeah. one question that I have is like, you know, you go into a mom and pop restaurant and you're like, man, I love this food. But why don't you guys franchise it? And, and like, I think that that's a common, a common idea. What are some of the reasons why businesses like that shouldn't franchise and, and what's sort of the process like for, you know, uh, a burger chain with two, uh, locations turning it into an, a national business and not necessarily burgers because I know you're not non-food, but that's just what came to mind. Yeah, no, I, and I certainly love food. I just don't do business with food. Um, you know, franchising, again, is not right for everyone on the franchisor side either. And so I do have these conversations oftentimes and oftentimes with restaurants. And you know, th there are pros and cons. So here's what I would say. If you're a business and you're thinking about expanding and you're thinking franchising may be a path to scale it. Uh, one, I, I would make sure you have a profitable model. And, and, you know, oftentimes there are little clues along the way of, you know, interest. People saying, hey, I'd love to go open one of these or can we get one of these in the location where I live? I mean, those are little breadcrumb clues I hear along the way. Um, but no, to, to franchise, the benefits are you're using other people's money. Um, you know, and instead of creating a lot of corporate locations, you have people with skin in the game. I mean, as a business owner, you always want employees that are going to act as owners. Well, now you get the chance to actually have people act as owners because they've got skin in the game. They've got an interest. They know their local markets. You're able to potentially scale fairly quickly. Um, it, those would be the benefits. And, you know, like I said, private equity loves franchising. Well, there's a great exit strategy and a high multiple that you could potentially build up to if that's your plan. The downside is, as a franchisor, you wake up one day and, I mean, your day-to-day -day changes. You wake up and all of a sudden you've got kids with expectations all around the country looking to you for answers. And so your role goes from being, you know, kind of that visionary and maybe even operator to a very supportive type uh, role, which some people are great with. Um, you know, obviously you're going to be building a team to, to provide that support, but it does change your day-to-day. -day. So it really depends on the person, depends on what their mindset is. And, you know, what I see oftentimes is, hey, let's bring in some franchise expertise to kind of run the franchise operation of the business. You know, that's not my skill set. So you can surround yourself with good people. Um, I've got some outstanding resources. If any of your listeners are thinking about franchising their business, I'd be happy to chat with them about it um, and then point them some really good resources that will take them all the way through the process. We talked about trash a little bit and driveways. What are some other kind of non-sexy, sexy sectors? Yeah, you know, when you look at the macro factors, I mean, right now you've got more people working from home, more pe you know, I always say that people will invest in, uh, in, what, in what they care about, which is their homes, their health, their kids, their pets. Those are the categories where you see businesses that are going to do well over time, you know, no matter if there's a recession or what have you. And so we've seen home services and property services. I mean, home services is a $600 billion market. It's a highly fragmented space. And so I'd say that poses a lot of opportunities to come in maybe to a blue collar industry like the ones we mentioned with a white collar approach to it and, and differentials. Um, so that's been massively interesting to a lot of people, you know, home services and property services. Um, then you think about like the senior population, um, you know, the silver tsunami, as I call it, 10,000 people turning 65 every day. How do we cater to them, whether it be on the fitness and the health and wellness side, or whether it be in-home senior care 
or, you know, I've got a great business right now that I'm, I'm really excited about. It's an orthotics uh, type business. So shoes and insoles, well, Medicare will pay for X number of shoes, you know, for their uh, clients every year. And so that's a great lead generator for this business, just crazy financials on it. Um, uh, you know, again, the pet space, uh, the children's space. And when you think children, I'm not talking about just daycares. I'm talking about, uh, you know, coding and computer programming and, you know, the STEM uh, education and tutoring, or even things like, you know, an outsourced phys ed department for schools, you know, mm -hmm. for a lot of little private schools that don't have those resources or swim lessons. I mean, just those things that are, I mean, we've paid, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars for my kids to go through swim lessons. It's crazy, but we're absolutely going to do that. Yep. Yeah, so they've got to be able to swim. Um, so I'd say those are some examples, um, you know, that I see. I, I do think health and wellness. I mean, this is kind of a sexier one. It, early this year, I did a 10-year, 10-unit uh, deal up in New Jersey where a client bought most of the state uh, for an IV drip um, uh, facility. Well, you've seen some of these around. This one is different in that they've got a special certificate, allows them to administer um, concoctions, if you will, that uh, you know, fight free radicals in the body, reduce heavy metals, um, improve uh, your your uh, uh, resistance at the cellular level and really boost immunity. Well, that's a business. There's some education to be had in the market on how all that works, but that's where the future is moving. And so some people are a little more entrepreneurial and they say, hey, I'll go out on a limb in a business where I'm gonna have to educate the market. Others say, hey, I really like the traditional businesses that there's already a market for it. And I just need to go in and educate on how it's different. Yeah. You talked about a few different things. You mentioned crypto, you mentioned uh, free radicals and, and cellular hydration. Like what other things are you interested in other than in franchising? As far as the concepts go or me personally? Uh, you personally. Oh, I, I love alternative investments. That's a big topic that I, I spend a lot of time talking with my friends about, but no, I'm a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization. Um, I've got a great group in there. We, we'll go down to uh, Argentina this February. We, we were in Aspen a little while back, backcountry skiing. I mean, we, we love doing that stuff. And, you know, we're, we're striving to, um, you know, build our businesses together, but also our families and, you know, the personal side. I, I've got three young kids. I coach my son's basketball team. Uh, we're really involved through the school and in the community here. So that takes up a lot of time. You guys will understand someday. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I'm constantly reminding myself that, hey, you know, how much is enough and slow down and don't waste these years. Um, the kids won't be this young forever. So we're, we're planning some pretty big trips as a family next year. And just really, um, you know, when you hear about regrets that people have later in life, it always comes back to, I wish I'd spent more time, you know, with the family. So, you know, for guys like us that are driven, um, it is hard sometimes to, to lose sight of that. Um, but fortunately, I've been able to surround myself with with some really good people uh, through our school and church and community to um, help keep me grounded. How old are How old are your kids? Ten, five, and three. Oh, that's fun. That's all awesome. future bulldogs, Kyle. I don't know. Well, we might catch one on this side of the of the line. Right. Exactly. If they can get in, it's getting tougher at Georgia these days. Alabama's plan. It's been <laughs> working directly to its. It's point. going well. They're giving all these scholarships, all these smart kids, improving the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Roll time. the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> to backtrack just a tiny bit, the silver tsunami, uh, is there an opportunity to buy franchise? Yeah. And I'll start by saying, you know, entrepreneurship through acquisition is a very common, um, you know, Walker Dival and those guys have really you know, popularized that idea, which can be a great path. You know, there are some things you have to watch out for. And that's it. Yeah. A lot of my clients are thinking about 
acquisitions. Others are saying, Hey, I'd rather start from scratch and maybe pay a lower amount get in. So, I mean, that's a whole nother topic, but no franchise resales are huge. I'm in the process of buying one right now myself with a couple of partners. Um, and this is really interesting. So the Riker school of business did a study looking at 2000 acquisitions that happened, uh, across a 10 year period, across a number of different industries. And, uh, what they did was they compared franchise businesses and non, uh, franchise businesses and like kind industries. And what they found was the multiple on the franchise businesses was actually one and a half times the non-franchise businesses. Um, so I think that was eye-opening to a lot of people to see, you know, the, the value of a resale, you know, when it's franchise really is seen by that potential, uh, acquisition. What are some of your personal big goals? Like, where are you trying to get to? You're a pretty young guy. I mean, 42, um, so where do you want to be at 52 and 62? Yeah, well, I, I do nerd out on that kind of stuff, the, the future planning. So my wife and I uh, laid out goals about five years ago. We, we had uh, goals for, you know, when we're 40 and 45 and 50. And it's been really neat. We, I'd say start doing that early on because it is really cool to see where you've been able to hit some of those goals along the way. You know, it's definitely a, a boost. And so... um I've been very blessed. We, we've been able to make some good moves. We position ourselves. I mean, we could retire in the next few years and, you know, that whole fire movement. I'm not a fire movement guy. We want to maintain a higher lifestyle. I love working, but it is nice to know that, um, I, you know, we will be in a position where we'll be able to. So I won't be working past 50, um, you know, at least from a compensation standpoint. Um, so what I'm focused on right now is what a lot of other uh, guys around me are as well. That's how do we quit trading time for money? And so how do we develop passive revenue streams that, you know, can support our lifestyle without having to tap into savings over time? And so uh, those are frequent conversations that we're having. Um, I'd say not trading time for money. How do we have a diversified passive revenue stream um, set up streams? Yeah, it's a common goal. I, you know, I'm sure that your group of friends is like, right now is like that's all they're talking about it's it's probably pretty cool I, I wish i could be a fly on the wall with some of those conversations it's helpful i mean when you get a mastermind group together like i've got through the entrepreneurs organization it really does um you're able to trade tips i mean you're mentioning the taxes earlier i mean we nerd out on tax strategies and um ideas and you know some of the investments guys were making and things you would never imagine um but it, it spurs you along and, and makes you want to want to go harder so you know, that's on the financial side, obviously on the family side, you know, it is all about, you know, raising, raising kids, right. And, uh, spending that time with them, investing when they're young. And, uh, you know, I want to show them the world, like we started out talking about and really get out there and, and let them uh, be exposed. And, um, but we're also very focused on, you know, helping those around us too. And, um, you know, the different ways that we're going about that. So I believe that stewardship's an important concept and, and that's something that we try to live by. I think that's a great place to, uh, call this episode complete. What should people do if they are interested in just learning more, connecting with you, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I'd say uh, go out to our website, franbridgeconsulting.com, which I know will be linked to in the show notes, F-R-A-N, bridgeconsulting.com. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. But um, but yeah, if you go out to the website, you can sign up for our newsletter. Um, would love to have a conversation as well. You know, even a 10-minute call, let's hop on and I can share some thoughts. Um, and I look forward to connecting. Thank you very much, John. We really appreciate it and have a great rest of your day. Enjoy it, guys. Go dogs. And that wraps up our extremely interesting conversation with John Austinson. Really enjoyed getting to learn about a business model and, well, I guess a, an umbrella of business models that 
Lewis and I were not well versed in, and we know a little bit more about it now. Uh, and so my three takeaways, the first of which is just there are a ton of pathways that you can take to get to where you want to be in entrepreneurship. You don't have to be Mark Zuckerberg. You can start a franchise cleaning um, trash cans. You know, there's there's a lot of ways to do it. And the next one is that there are the riches are in the niches, but those niches are the dirty niches, right? So like the things that no one thinks about, like your gutters or your uh, pressure washing or you know nasty door frames. There's somebody out there that is making money every day, every month from fulfilling those services that nobody else wants to do. And so I'm sure that there's a franchise out there that does any of those things and all of those things that maybe you could get involved in. And then the third is that guardrails and proven product market fit are invaluable for new businesses and new entrepreneurs. As we talked about in the podcast, you know, a lot of these franchises that people are starting, they're able to know that there is market demand for it already uh, just because it's worked in so many other markets around the country and they're just bringing it to their market, plug and play. They know that people will pay for this service versus if you start a startup, you know, you spend a bunch of money to get it going and then it turns out there's no customers. And the yeah, guardrails piece of that is just that when you do develop or, or uh, adopt the, one of these business models and, and pay to be a franchisee, you know, you get the systems and processes that work in those other markets that you can take and apply to your own business. Great stuff, Kyle. Three quick takeaways for me. The first one is just the overwhelming clarity that John has about passion for this project and passion for this umbrella of businesses. Uh, you know, his niche is non-food businesses and he kind of repeats that that's a specialty throughout the episode. And of course we still ask him about food businesses and he's still prepared to talk for, he's like, I, I could talk for that if we want to, but that's going to be an hours and hours conversation. It's like, even the piece of this, that's not his piece of this. He could still just like take us to school and back uh, a bunch of times. So that, that's just always fun to see someone with that much enthusiasm for something that we would kind of think of as obscure, but it's pretty awesome. Cause like you said, there's a ton of opportunity here. Second takeaway is kind of similar to what you said first about, you know, the various paths to entrepreneurship and the various degrees of it. I kind of think of it as like a spectrum with like a risk slider. Uh, but why wouldn't you take, not why wouldn't you take, but you know, if you're a first time entrepreneur, it's very, very difficult to get every single piece correctly, right? You have a product that people want, you know how to provide that product. There's a market for that product. You get your branding, right? Like, why wouldn't you just start out with, let's say eight of those pieces in place. So the only real skills you're learning on the first time are operations, hiring, etc. And then the rest is like following a proven playbook. And then maybe if you've gotten good at that, you can think you're smart and come up with a brand later on. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't you take, it's like starting a business with only having to figure out 20%. You know, the joke is, you know, when you're CEO, you wear 25 hats, but it seems like when you're CEO of a franchise, I mean, you still probably wear 25 hats, uh, but maybe it's like eight when a normal startup CEO is like actually 25. So like, sounds like it's kind of a great way to start without having to figure out everything at once. And then you kind of start with on third base, as we discussed throughout this episode, you have all the things you already have in place to kind of prove that you're going to win. Uh, last thing, uh, I liked John when I asked the question, what are the skill sets you need? And basically he said people skills, as long as you have people skills, you can be successful in franchising. I think kind of a prerequisite, right? Is some time management, some organization, some responsibility, some general competency, right? That's kind of like the 
those are table stakes. You have to be a competent person who can meet deadlines and et cetera and be responsible. But outside of that kind of specialized skills, you don't need to do any special school or anything. Just like if you're good with people, if people like you, if you're nice, you can succeed in this business. So that's always really encouraging to hear. That's all I have to say for this episode with John. Really liked it. Really fun episode. But I kind of think that about every episode. If you want to support the Lewis and Kyle show, we have a sponsor now. There will be more information in the show notes. It's called Espresso Displays. Uh, they're portable second monitors for your screens. Pretty awesome stuff. We first heard about them because we interviewed their CEO, Scott, in episode somewhere in between 60 and 70, I believe. Episode Joe and Scott, they're Australian entrepreneurs. We've become friends with through the podcast. It's a really great product. There'll be more info in the description for that product. It's pretty sweet stuff. Other ways to support us, just give us feedback, right? We do this podcast primarily. This sounds funny now that I just mentioned a sponsor, but we do this podcast primarily to learn and for the value of the learning and the conversations that result from doing this. So we'd love to hear from you. We're on social media. Kyle and I are easy to find online or easy to reach. You have ideas you want to discuss with us, feedback. We'd love to hear from you. That would be really fun. Otherwise, you can leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes. Check out any of the other existing episodes that are in this same feed, wherever you are right now. And otherwise, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're at so you know when the next episode comes out because it'll probably be in a week or so-ish. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye-bye.